You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back to The Catalyst, everyone. I am your host, Samantha Chris, and with me today is speaker and transformational coach, Rachel Weinstock. Rachel holds a Bachelor of Visual Arts and a Bachelor of Education and has been teaching both locally and internationally for over 15 years. She has also spent over a decade studying public speaking, storytelling, improvisational acting, red nose clowning, dance, and life coaching. Her philosophy to working with children is deeply impactful because of her own lived experiences of being bullied from the first grade to the end of high school. Rachel just gets it and she knows what kids need, which is why she has now dedicated her life to empowering children all over the world to live their kindest, most creative and amazing lives. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Okay. Before we dive in, I have to ask, what is red nose clowning? I know. I kind of heard your voice stop with that. <laughs> oh, you might not know. Um, yeah. So red nose clowning, um, I, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to do it justice in terms of explaining the whole thing, but my amazing teacher, Helen Donnelly, um, you know, I first found out about her and it's, it's a style of clowning, but I, I, I'm hesitant to start explaining it because I know Helen has dedicated her life towards this. So I feel like maybe listeners can, can look it up, but essentially it's, it's not the, um, you know, go to the birthday party, paint your face white with like, kind of like a red nose. It's deeply kind of a, it's a therapeutic approach to getting into your personality, your quirks, and using that to kind of express um, yourself and interact. You, friends, you have homework already. <laughs> <laughs> Not even two minutes in and we've got some homework. I love it. <laughs> you are up to so many incredible things these days and you're clearly in your element and love your life, but that wasn't always the case, was it? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. When you're re- reading my intro, I was closing my eyes and just kind of visualizing the different parts and kind of reflecting on what you were saying. It's always interesting to hear your own bio. Always. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, the part where you were saying that I was like, yeah, I, I did go through like lots and lots of years of darkness and, and difficulty. So yeah, it was, it was not, I have, a, I come from a very loving family um, and I'm very lucky to have that because some kids that have gone through what I went through had both an unsafe um, experience at home and as well as in the classroom and schools, which I can't even imagine going through that. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely not easy. Um, I didn't uh, get the tools and, and skills and kind of um ways to step into my own power um and and move through my trauma and process it uh until you know i had to kind of fight for it until many many years later mm. in one of your talks you actually mentioned that you were six years old the first time that you had suicidal thoughts yeah yeah and that is true um wow. i mean i mean everything i say is true i i really authenticity is a, a really a value i hold really dear and honesty um yeah, I was six years old and um, 
I mean, it was really bad. I, you know, human beings want to belong. That's one of the deepest, deepest needs. Um, and that comes from, you know, our past of just like knowing genetically, like we're not going to be safe or survive if we don't belong. So that expands to social groups. You just, you just have that embedded in, in knowing that you want to be part of something um, and also to want to be part of something good. And so unfortunately, for, for um, again, this, this is something where I really feel like we can improve so much in, in the way that we educate children and how we run the school systems um, and education by training teachers on trauma-informed awareness, uh, trauma-informed lens, conflict resolution, you know, lots of different things. Um, social emotional learning should be at the foundation of education really. Um, and so I had a, you know, quote unquote friend. I mean, she was going through a terrible time, but of course um, her parents were getting divorced and she decided to tell the entire, uh, we had three classes. I went to a private school, all three classes that, you know, all the kids were not allowed to play with me um, at the first and second recess. And of course the last recess was the shortest. So I had tremendous anxiety as a six-year-old going out onto the playground and just being alone. But what was worse about it was they made a spy club to see how I reacted to that isolation. So they would follow me around and just like, you know, laugh at me, point, like, just like, and it just felt like I was so vulnerable and so exposed. So, you know, in my viral talk, I talk about hiding behind this, this wall that the boys would play handball against. And really, I just spent my, my time just trying to um, survive till the point where I was like, I can't take this anymore. And I told my mom, I want to kill myself. Um, and that's when she was like, okay, this is really bad. Like my six-year-old is saying she doesn't want to live. There's a problem. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of what happened there. Wow. And how did that trauma impact you? I mean, during what would have been some of your most formative years? You know, it's interesting. I do a lot of work kind of um, processing that trauma. I've been, you know, working in like working on myself in therapy. And um, now I have an incredible beliefs coach where we kind of, it's, it's kind of like time traveling where we'll go back to these memories and reprogram stories that have been happening to me at the time. Um, mm. And one of the, like, I remember this um, very, very clearly where, you know, this, this child, um, you know, because her parents had been going through this divorce and she targeted me because she didn't have a way to process that. So um, it was actually, it was actually Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day for Jewish people. I'm not religious, but I went to a Hebrew school at the time. And it's, it's the day that Jewish people that are religious believe that you pray to God and um, you ask for forgiveness for all your sins. And then you get inscribed into the book of life. So, you know, I, I've never, I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious. Um, and even back then I was just, you know, I just kind of believed in a different way than necessarily how I was being taught. But I knew that forgiveness is really important. Um, and so I was, I was desperate to make this abuse stop. And bullying really is abuse. I really think that when we say bullying and we don't add the word abuse, um, it softens it. It makes it seem kind of childlike and not that serious. But the impacts are lifelong oftentimes, most of the time, I'd say. And so, um, yeah, my, my mom and uh, this person's stepmom had a conversation and um, I remember my mom coming back to me. She remembers a different side of the story, but like, this is, you know, from my side, this is what happened because it went on. She said that um, this child had decided not to, not to quote unquote, forgive me, um, which meant she was going to continue to kind of hold this power and nobody was going to play with me. And I was just devastated. And also I felt so like, you know, there's been such a mix of like 
helplessness, but then also rage against like, why don't the adults know what they're doing? Like, you know, mm. why they stop this? Why aren't they, aren't they supposed to be in charge? Aren't they supposed to protect kids? So that's how I felt. And I felt that way with my teachers over the years. And um, eventually this child did come up to me. Um, and I remember exactly where I was standing in the playground. I've actually thought about like revisiting and just like standing in that thought. And she said to me, you know, I've decided to forgive you. And I remember it was as if my body, like her soul split into two. And on one side, I just like collapsed into like utter relief. Like this, this pain and this abuse is going to stop. Like I would do anything to have that stop. But the other part of me was like so rageful mm-hmm. and was like, how dare you say that you're going to forgive me? Like you are the one that's being abusive and awful. And so, but I remember knowing that I wasn't like, it wasn't safe to let that voice out. So I just like pushed that voice down because I knew that she already had displayed her power that everybody listened in the grade and wasn't playing with me. So I felt powerless. So I was like, okay, I can't, I can't show my anger. I'll just be like grateful. But I remember that part of me splitting in two and that, and that became a thing where, you know, that when you experience this kind of trauma, uh, you go into freeze, like, you know, internally, this is wrong, you want to scream, you want to yell, you want to stop this, but your voice gets frozen, because you're afraid of, you know, consequences or impact. So you are not able to speak your truth, right? And you're not able to stop what's happening to you. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really what happened to me. And that became a pattern in my life for, for many, many years. And I have to work really hard when I know that a boundary is being crossed for me now. Mm-hmm. I like, those kinds of feelings come up for me, but I have to work really hard to work through them because I know that my truth is more important um, than, you know, staying frozen in my trauma. Right. I mean, if we go back to the schoolyard for a minute, again, in the talk that you had given, you said that you wished as a young child that this fairy teacher would float down and come save you in those moments. And now you're known as Miss Rainbow Fairy. Yes. I'm the teacher that I wanted. Totally. You've kind of come full circle here. What's that like? Oh, it's so amazing. I mean, (laughs) it's so, I mean, obviously COVID, like it's been, you know, I haven't been in the classrooms for a year, but I've been teaching online um, and running programs. So it's that same kind of thing where, yeah, it's amazing. And there are times where kids will really, it's like you're, I always think of it as a pattern interrupt, like they're on this path. And when, you know, I help support them and kind of realign these train tracks that they're on to make it a positive path. Like I sometimes will reflect on, wow, like I wish that I had this as a child, but I'm so grateful that I can be this for you. Like, you know, and it's, I, I, I have a spiritual kind of belief. I don't know. You know, it just feels like I got a master's in, in how to understand this kind of trauma and pain because I went through it. It wasn't just a year. It was most of my life growing up. There were a couple of years that I had quote unquote off of it, but I was so traumatized. I was doing it, you know, to myself by that point, because I kind of, you know, drank the Kool-Aid and really just believed everything I was being told. I just, you know, turned on myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to be that person, um, my friend recently, she's, she's like a dear sister to me. She said, you know, if I would have had you, um, because she, you know, kind of started to explore her gender expression and, you know, and be open to like different kinds of pronouns. But she said, if I would have had you as, as like, you know, you were my mentor as a young person or a teacher, like, I can't even imagine like the heavy backpack that I've been carrying for so long that, 
told me I'm not supposed to be the way I am, or, you know, it's not right to be the way I am, like I would have just been myself. And so for, for me to know that you're doing that for young people, they don't have to carry these things around with them is amazing. Um, yeah, so I am, I am deeply honored and, you know, there's still tons of long lasting effects of the trauma that I went through, um, like now currently in my life, but I'm so grateful to be able to use my life for good. I wouldn't have it another way. What are some of those long lasting effects that you're still coping with? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's something I don't talk about often. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different things, but um, one of them is obviously mental health. So I've struggled with anxiety and, you know, uh, depression and just a lot of body dysmorphia. I mean, actually, when we say body dysmorphia, it's usually like connected to your body. I guess your face is part of your body, but like, you know, I went through a solid six years of being called ugly. And it's something that I've just recently been starting to feel more comfortable to, to talk about, to actually verbalize, because I would say, oh, I've been bullied. And that was way easier for me and less vulnerable than to say I was called ugly. But I literally um, felt so, I, I'm so bad about myself, um, you know, and that created social anxiety. So I still struggle with social anxiety. Um, and, uh, just, just body image things like face image things. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that like all those kinds of things, you know, made it kind of a daily struggle. And then also one of the things, um, and this is really important for the listeners to hear whether you're a parent or you've been through this is my way of surviving. What I went through was to really stay in victim mode, meaning that like, I was so inundated with this abuse and I was running kind of, you know, trying to find help desperately nobody was helping me so the only way I could get compassion because I turned against myself internally was to repeat my story over and over and over again so I was like so socially like it was like such a faux pas like I'd meet people and I'd be like oh my god and then I was bullied and they were just like oh I was just saying hello to you and then kind of like <laughs> awkward and walk away <laughs> I was like what happened I'm so nice why um so yeah so I just stayed in my sad like, mm. and that was the way I kind of felt like comfortable there. It was like, I, I was comfortable in this sadness and darkness. And so part of the effects of my trauma, which, you know, I do not often share um, about is I deal with chronic pain. So, or I've had chronic health challenges since uh, kind of the time I came out of high school. So it was kind of like the last job, just like everything happening. And, you know, you develop, I don't know exactly why, but in trauma, it's very common to like, kind of do things that are self-harming. And so, you know, I definitely did not take care of myself while I struggled with an eating disorder. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it just like lots of things that led to, and also me being so, so empathic and sensitive and then being depressed all the time. And then, you know, not eating well and not sleeping well, having toxic friendships, like just, just not feeling aligned in myself, not listening to my truth, basically, like being afraid to put down boundaries and being afraid to um, treat myself well, like it's kind of you almost have to, when you go through this trauma for that long, right, you almost have to relearn how to be human. And if you go through it since you were six years old to like in high school, like I came, came out of high school, it was like my head was spinning. I was like, I don't like it was just it was horrible. And then I spent kind of the last 20 something years putting, trying, working hard to put myself back together and then use my life for something good. 
So yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I definitely struggle uh, to, I'm on a healing journey with that, but in doing this work, it's also so healing and gives me so much hope to know that I can help so many other people. And I, and I do want other people to be helped so that they don't have to have such a difficult journey for themselves. You know, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Really cool. Yeah. You've seen firsthand how critical safe spaces are for children. And I mean, you've, as we've seen, committed your life and your career to creating those spaces, both in the educational system and helping, you know, familial systems. And so what would be some advice that you could share with parents and teachers who may feel really helpless at times, you know, they see a kid or their kid is being bullied and they want so desperately to help, but they don't know how to step in. Okay, the biggest thing that I could say is, um, first of all, if like your student or your child is uh, going through this, to not give up, to not give up. I'm, I'm like telling you, you, you can't give up because you give up, then you basically push them into this gladiator ring, uh, gladiator ring completely, you know, without any protection. So you, you actually, your job as a responsible adult is to, to not give up on them. Now that doesn't mean that you have all the answers. One of the best tools um, and an amazing book to read about, you know, if, if you're interested in understanding about trauma and the impact of trauma is The Body Keeps the Score. And in that book, the author talks about something that I use all the time and I just came to it intuitively and also with my background of improv and like red nose clowning, things like that, is role playing. So, you know, kids will often come home and say like, you know, I don't know, somebody like called me stupid. It's usually, it's usually the same kinds of toxic poison, but there's, there's variations of the flavors to them. It's usually like ugly, stupid, um, dumb, fat, you know, all these things like having neurodiversity, being a different body size, having a disability, all those things, they're not bad in themselves, but it's the way that people do it to shame and exclude people that is poisonous, right? So, you know, a parent might say, well, don't listen, don't listen to them. Well, but that trauma has already like infiltrated their story of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not cool. I'm not, you know, I'm not enough. Basically, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough to be included or part of, you know, humanity or whatever it is, whatever story gets stuck in their head on, on a record. So by you just saying that is actually not helpful, to be honest. I mean, it's good to a certain point, but if, rather to say, okay, tell me exactly what that person said. And I actually will mirror the tone of the voice and I will say to them, I'm going to do it in a mean way. So let's say, for example, um, somebody said, you know, you're, you're stupid, right? Um, and that, that could impact someone's life. Literally, you could be told you're stupid and actually believe it. And like all the possibilities for life literally could diminish from, I don't know, grade one. Like you could actually believe that and never become the person that you're supposed to be. So the child comes home, says like, or to the teacher, I'm, I'm stupid. So you as an adult can say, okay, tell me exactly how it sounded. I want to know what that person said. Show me what it looked like. Well, you're dumb. And it's like, okay, now I'm going to say that to you. And I'm going to do the same thing that this person did to you in the same way. And it will bring up feelings of the trauma. Like you're just acting, but it will literally bring it up to the surface. And then that freeze will go in and kick into place. So now what do we do? So before you go into like actually doing the role play, you'll say, okay, what are some things that you wanted to say at the time? Stop. Don't speak to me like that. It's okay that I need another minute to answer the question, right? Because there's all those things that are stuck inside that you know that you want to say when you're being attacked. So you role play that. Okay, you're dumb. 
And then sometimes the child will go into a freeze even if you're role-playing with them. And so you say, remember, we're just acting. And then you, you can say, stop. And then you kind of go back. And sometimes I'll literally go back and forth with a child and say, stop. And they'll be like, stop. I'm like, no, stronger. And I also tell them to remember to use their eye contact um, and imagine that their eyes are laser beams. Like we've all seen the teacher death stare of hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I always, and if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a student, you know what I'm talking about. So you actually have to practice that. So you can go home and practice that. So you can practice that with your child and just without being physical and aggressive, you can use your words. Um, we've seen two-year-olds dominate, you know, a situation with their parents and they're two. They're so much smaller. They don't have physical power over them, but they have this emotional energy and this commitment to their experience. So you can use your voice and you can use your eye contact to stop something non-violently, right? Um, but to get that muscle, that takes practice. So the role-playing, it's not enough to say to your child, oh, like, don't believe them. And also relate to them and be like, wow. Like I've literally had, so I coach one-on-one -on -one as well as like, you know, in my group programs, but uh, I have literally had in the last week, two kids. Um, and it's helpful that now I'm being much more open with my own trauma. Two kids tell me I like that. They not I'm that they are ugly and they hate themselves. They hate, and they've picked apart how they look, you know, that they have this button nose and this ugly forehead and a space between their teeth, uh, that they have like, you know, big cheeks. Like they literally, you know, they hate their ankles, Like they will pick themselves apart. And I know that feeling because I spent many, many years in my life doing it. And it's a rewiring of your thought process. Like your brain is literally feeding you the bullying lines internally, and then it gets out of control. And that becomes our brains like repetitive things. So that becomes your pattern of thinking and you believe that then. So, you know, I, I will sit down with them and say, you know, um, I will tell them like, do you know that I really understand how you feel? And they're like, no, I'm like, well, I was told that I was ugly for this, this many, many years and I believed it. And then it made my life so hard and so difficult. And I'll say, can you believe that that happened to me? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, would you say that that's true? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, I know it's hard to understand that right now, but it's not true for you too. And I've told them that the truest ugliness, which, you know, my worst kind of like tormentor and uh, bully, I mean, they were all not great in terms of their choice of actions, but was in grade eight to the end of high school. He followed me into it. Like we were in the same uh, grade eight class and then in, in the same high school. And I remember doing this training for life coaching um, when I was specializing in like working with kids and we had this troll, it was like a puppet and we had to kind of reenact, uh, you know, the worst thing that happened to us. So I was using, you know, this, this guy as, you know, what, it, what had happened. And I remember picking up the troll and just like, we were in a hotel and I, I opened the door to the stairs and the, the hallway and I, I threw the troll down and I was like, what's true ugliness is what you did. That's the only thing that is true ugliness. And that's what I really believe is, you know, it's not about how you look. It's actually like what's in your heart. And to do that to somebody is true ugliness. And also I'll say this, it's also trauma. So it's not like, you know, anybody doing this, like if you are one of the people listening right now that did this to people and bullied people or you know, traumatized people. I know that that doesn't just come from nowhere, but to be on the receiving side, that that is true ugliness. It's not how you look or who you are. 
Oh, I've got goosebumps. I, I mean, I love that you have found your path because it is so evident that you're going to change the world with the work that you're doing. I've had the privilege, privilege of speaking with you before this recording and I like saw the sparkle in your eye. You can hear it in your voice. And I'm, I'm so, so, so grateful for you, for the work that you do. Growing up is not easy for anyone. And with the added layer of bullying and feeling isolated, having someone like you around, I mean, it, it's a game changer and can, I'm sure has even saved lives. Thank you so much for seeing that. You guys, I'm going to put the link to Rachel's website in the show notes. You're going to be able to see articles. You're going to see, uh, information about the programs that she offers for teens and preteens and so much more. You're also going to see the talk that I had referenced a couple times. I'll send that. I'll drop it in the, the notes as well. Absolutely incredible. She's got a keynote getting to the heart of bullying prevention. If you'd like to bring Rachel into your school or organization, Rachel, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's such an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your beautiful heart. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.